0: You're now listening to the No GPS Podcast with host Mez and Aaron. Remember to share, like, subscribe, and follow. Got a show idea, complaint, interesting take, or just want to say what's up? You can reach us at nogpspodcast.gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Hey there, we're back again. I'm Aaron. I'm with my co-host Mez and we're doing part three of the Soul Rebel Generation and we're discussing Professor Daniel McNeil's new book, Thinking While Black and it discusses um, the work of Mr. Paul Gilroy, Professor Paul Gilroy and Armin White. Uh, They're both cultural critics and, and seminal, seminal in what they do. So yo, Mez, like How's it been? Like we finally finished the book. I mean, we finished the book for a long time. We went over it again and we're both just floored at how good it is. I think that Daniel McNeil just did a wonderful job of making these two figures, connecting them and breaking that dichotomy of black conservatives and black um, progressives and and showing some of the interlinks as far as the thinking and just kind of complicating that whole arrangement. That Manichean arrangement, and it's just been a pleasurable read, just just from the beginning to the end, and so rich. And like I said, just two thinkers who I think really get um, misunderstood a lot, and so this this book really clarifies these two individuals who who I would say whose thinking has been reduced to the margins, um, in some certain senses, and both still are are very much acclaimed and and hailed in the professions as, as really, 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 really smart dudes so yo mez how's it been man like like how are you coming to this <laughs> well we are just
1: to say we, we we finally getting to finish the podcast the book's been finished long time ago
0: <laughs> so
1: yeah yeah finally getting to get uh, get around to the end of it uh to, but i think it's good this way even you know if it's a smaller book or a longer book uh dividing it up in three parts you can actually you know dive into uh, instead of note taking the entire time and having uh, one single discussion uh, over the entirety of the book, yeah. you know, you the note taking gets replaced by the separating the discussion into three parts. So you can, you know, talk about a specific thing uh, in the first few chapters about the the seventies, maybe, or um, mm-hmm. and then move on to the next thing. So I think we did it the right way. I think I'm uh, I'm proud of this. <laughs> And, um, yeah, it was good. It was good. It was nice. It was an odd kind of like 14-year odyssey back to when I first uh, was introduced to, you know, first met Daniel and then introduced to Paul Giroy. As you say, Paul Gilroy is uh, kind of misunderstood and marginalized. And Daniel, um, you know, shows it in the book as well. I always wonder if... I had even come to know, but Gilroy's work, known gilroys work, if it wasn't the way I, if it wasn't for Daniel, you know, in the first place, like being an undergrad mm. program, because wow. uh, the way he was presented to me is that he is as, as if he was inevitable. If you are going to get into Black British, uh, you know, studies, cultural studies, uh, critical uh, work, or whatever, uh, if it's not Stuart Hall, it's him. Uh, but every time, everywhere I went afterwards, it's. Uh, it's like uh, Paul, who <laughs> never heard of him, <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: and that's why I said yeah. in previous podcasts, uh, previous episodes, that a lot of people don't either don't know him or find him to be. Uh, oh, that guy, yeah, he he kind of went that way. We stay here, you know. So uh, right,
0: right, right. There's
1: that, and yeah. yeah. What do you think? I want to ask you. What did you think of this uh, theme of you know creating a Kind of generational cohort to think to think through generationally, Uh, and um, maybe pose them as odd bedfellows, and then think things through. uh, And the way uh, you know the 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 central thought I think you already said it is this idea that collapsing binaries. You know. Um, Yeah. uh, That I think that's the overarching theme really here in Daniel's uh, kind of thematic uh, follow through is beyond who these people are they're just uh, good examples for him and and this generational thing i don't know maybe they're just slightly older than him the way he's maybe slightly older than us that we that maybe there's something about us as individuals uh, or cultural historians uh albeit all amateurs who, who are obsessed with that generation that came right before us you know <laughs>
0: Right, 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 right. There's always a the fascination, right? And a, and a mystification of, you know, cohorts that, that came before us as far as like five, 10 years before us and trying to understand their lived experience, the context of their thinking, the context of the kind of art they were producing, the the intellectual labors they were producing. So I, th- I thought it was fantastic to put these two uh, thinkers together. It got me deeper into Gilroy and, you know, like like just looking at Gilroy's work and I'm like, man, that's one of the great things that I got from this book is that I became really interested with the works of Paul Gilroy and I went out to do more reading. Right. I mean, like he's even like he's he's really he kind of Socratic in a certain way, in the sense that pushing pushing through a boundary and then settled, and then. We kind of take things for granted, and then he's pushing again. You're just like, yo, man, you, you, are so anxious. You, 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 you're going at breakneck speed. You got to relax. You know, I need to, I need to settle myself, right? And I think, I think, I think that's wonderful. Like he's, he's just like Armand, continuously pushing the boundaries, right? I, I, I I didn't know how I was gonna come to his, his article. I think I sent it to you too, uh, on the black Mediterranean, the refugee crisis and, and the just uh, the tragic, tragic situation in the black Mediterranean or in the Mediterranean for the last uh, 10, 15 or so years. And it was quite riveting. And I think that he talked about it in a way that I came away from it with, with practical takeaways. Uh, whereas uh, you can't always say that about his work, Sometimes it's very abstract and abstruse, but I found his 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 later works, the ones that are more recent, to be much more uh, accessible. And it might be more accessible to me. Actually, thinking about it now, in hindsight, it might be actually it actually might be more accessible to me now that I've read Professor Daniel McNeil's book, Thinking While Black. It just it opens it up. I mean, I understand Armin in a different way. Um, for instance, right? For instance, for Armand, uh, his contention, right? And I can just jump right into a quote, actually. Uh, his contention, right? Why why he hates, you know, the types of movie like Cry Freedom, uh, Mississippi Burning, 12 Years a Slave. Um, you know, there's reasons for that. And you can actually find that in the articles he's read. You just got to do a deep dive, like, like, like Daniel has, right? And kind of going back to the resistance years, sorry, the resistance by Armin White, 10 years of pop culture that shook the world. I'm going to say that right this time, as I'm not going to mess up. So <laughs> <laughs> I remember like last time, um, but his, his, his need to have black characters that are not necessarily saved or put in a position to be um. Yeah, saved by white characters, right? Um, those types of movies. I he 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 really frowns on them. So, uh, let me let me let me take the foot out of my mouth, and let me read this quote, and this will basically explain why he loves the movie Col- the Color Purple, and it establishes his reasons for why he doesn't like the Cry Freedom's, the the the, the Burning Mississippi, the the the. the uh, the Preciouses and all of those kinds of movies. So he says this in page 44 of The Resistance. The Color Purple feels like the first insiders movie about black Americans to come out of Hollywood because the characters aren't defined by the relation to the white world. Right. That's important. Their relation to the white world are created through a white artist's a white artist's sympathetic condescension. These are new black archetypes. As fictional creations, they are so free of political justification that the whole issue of correctness is zapped, right? So this is the, the real leap. That's page 44 in The Resistance.
1: Oh, All yeah, right, so this is the actual review for color, The Color Purple.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that 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 really is behind it, right? And I think his reasons for why he was such a big, big fan of Spielberg, um, to, to allow characters to be who they need to be, um, not who we think they should be, and to create new types of archetypes, new myths. So he's seen movies like that as achieving those kinds of historical feats, right, where you 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 blow past the stereotypes, right. And Gilroy talked about that as well. He was he was he was uh, I think a consultant on Isaac Julian, Isaac Julian's um Young Soul Rebels movie. Isaac
1: Julian, yeah,
0: yeah, Isaac Julian, right. Um, funded by the GLC and other film bodies that movie bursted through the stereotypes, right? You got, you got black gay characters going out with, um, the having interracial relationships, right? You had you know, people trying to bust through the mainstream, but trying to do it in, in ways that were not so clear cut as far as um, like the ethics around that. And like, you know, so, so both of them are talking about busting through those stereotypes, right? Of just like animist, naturalist, um rhythmic uh types of black characters right who just who who understand the soul of the world and are supposed to be poets for you know white liberals who feel guilt and shame right um so I, yeah like i thought i thought it was masterful you know what i mean i'm just i'm just i'm just a a bit on a a rant right now but do you see you feel what i'm saying like what stuck out to you especially for this latter half of the book
1: Oh, for, for Gilroy um it's it's that um yeah that, that kind of conviviality that uh that's the word he mm. is uh, and ordi- ordinary multiculturalism that can't be um annexed by uh corporate multiculturalism or 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 is uh or at least it's um or as it you know tries it might it always let's try and state multiculturalism which uh tries to manage that difference it's, um under folk you know uh, false um declarations of celebration and um I, I think that's what they have in common there because so many of us uh are uh, i guess the, the 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 starting point for those types of multicultures is uh that they assume a rigid stereotype to begin with they think through stereotype some kind of and then you know they move that thing around as opposed to the kind of more like you say uh, fluid and complex and uh, uh, less neat ways we actually live live our lives whether it's in a council housing here or uh, uh, you know in the projects or in the, in the streets and the clubs and you know, pl- you know places mm-hmm. of uh, you know cultural um, exchange um, so I guess that's like a uh, you know a kind of meeting point there. Um, I, one of one of the few that I think Daniel, uh, uh and, you know, intimates that, so yeah, I, I, that's that's uh, that's what I get out of that for for Gilroy for the, la- the latter half. I don't know, um, it's, it's just so hard to read them against each other because uh, what I wanted to respond to was in terms of your reading of Paul Gilroy, my most readable, so it was in 2010. So. Probably my first year of reading him uh, experience mm. with him and uh, a book that i actually liked and, and i and i kept and i and i bought after i took it out of the library afterwards was his book uh, uh darker than blue which he mm. takes from a curtis mayfield song people who are darker than blue and I, and it's it's a small book uh daniel mentions it in the book as well and in, in, in his book here um that, you know, talks about the moral economy and uh, a little bit of, he, he gives a little bit of alignment of where we came, you know, the Bob Marley and Curtis Mayfield era uh, and where we are at now where, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he goes hard on uh, Montel Jordan <laughs> and his lyrics and, <laughs> and a celebration of uh, of uh, big fat cars and, and whatnot. He has actually, this is some of my early kind of uh, learning curves around uh, privacy. And, uh, it's, you know, it's a connection to late stage capitalism and neoliberalism. It's kind of pursuit for privacy, masquerading as uh, some kind of individual agency and freedom and democracy. Mm. And he tells a lot of the story about how we went from uh, how the car was used, like a, basically a, a kind of cultural uh, um, story uh, or, or history of uh, car manufacturing, what the car has meant to. Uh, both in the industries but also to black American uh, working class uh, mm. from you know the middle of the 20th century all the way to montel Jordan in music videos right <laughs> and right. uh, he basically says that, that the car is like an, basically an extension of your private domain that mm. um, the moment you leave your house you no longer have to enter the public that the yucky concept oh other people <laughs> i can right. I can jump to my car and extend my my time my private time to where I want to go
0: and so hold up that's probably behind the idea Daniel McNeil puts down as far as like more more so than see them riding around in a a car that's that gives off status right like a Mercedes or BMW or or what have you He, he you know he remarks that you'll probably find Gilroy or Armin White on the bus or walking the city streets Okay. okay that's cool yeah
1: i mean daniel said this in class once i don't know if he if he remembers it, or maybe he repeats it in classes uh that you know driving a car has a lot to do with uh, how i think daniel sees uh, a class or uh, what class identity you might be uh, performing if you are driving versus if you're walking or riding a bike i mean at the time maybe <laughs> i remember someone in the class said wait no, driving a car doesn't make you middle class or whatever it was <laughs> and uh but i uh, over time i do think that that's true um, the only desire for a car and a place where there's you know ample like transportation albeit it's constantly being eroded by the same private sector and the privatization of the state and all those services uh, mm-hmm. can only mean really uh the you know the private neurotics ever increasing desire for more me time you know, as opposed to, right. uh, I mean, and the other joke, of course, is in the underground here in London in the morning peak rush hour. You got everyone staring at their phones and barely uh, somehow <laughs> somehow managing not to bump into each other, let right. alone speak to each other. But somehow managing their own private lives. But yeah, that 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 book, Darker Than Blue, is pretty good uh, to uh, to kind of start with because uh, that's uh, it's a different kind of book from his other book
0: right 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 right. yeah the other thing i was gonna say is
1: hard to compare to armin white for whom the joy really of reading him is that you have this treasure trove of what now 40 years of uh criticism pieces you know pieces of criticism on on different movies and stuff uh, and 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 uh music videos and, and and people uh, and for different um, outlets Just and stuff. So. Fascinating. But, but that only obviously... Just fascinating. Yeah. For, for, that mm-hmm. only obviously is important if, for you if you like those things. And I, fu- yeah, funnily yeah. enough, uh, do like those things. And
0: <laughs> it, It's funny because he made me understand Michael Jackson better than anybody else. And obviously, I mean, not obvi- obvious to everybody, but obvious to me and you. Like earlier today, we were talking about Michael Jackson's song a Stranger in Moscow <laughs> and coming to a, a greater understanding of that. And I can't help but think that Armin White was a part of that in our reading of him, especially in the resistance his uh when he writes on from the dangerous album uh Black or White. Um like just just fantastic. Just gets to it. You understand why um maybe let me let me read a can I read something from it? Just what got me to understand Michael is that Jackson. that the gloved one? Just, the,
1: the gloved one, right?
0: Yeah. yeah the, um, the, gloved, the, gloved, the gloved one ain't no chump. Yeah, the chump, gloved one ain't no chump. Or, hold yeah. up. The gloved one is not a chump. God, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ain't so no is more of a... Well. Paul,
1: that's actually interesting. Paul Kilroy put the ain't no in his first big book, which is in Americanism as far as I know. I don't know if uh, oh. English is. I mean, I, I, but probably they do. That but, makes sense. And, and, and the way you just uh, corrected uh, both of us, by saying no, it's, it's not is is not a chump as opposed to I no, ain't no. That's, that's <laughs> a good upstanding American. American like Armin White would uh, would stand for that,
0: <laughs> right? And, and and that's funny because in learning more about Paul Gilroy, he comes to his under. He was in his undergrad years. He was he was an American Studies. Um, that was that that's what that's what his major was. So he was learning about about um, black. African-American culture, black culture in the U.S., to understand more uh, deeply what it meant to be black and British, right? To use those resources um, that were ample there, whether Baldwin, whether Douglas, whether uh, Frederick Douglass, whether James Baldwin, sorry, whether Ida B. Wells or whoever, um, uh, Drake St. Clair, is that his name? Yeah. Um, Like those kinds of figures. And he used that to understand Hit the perplexing situation he found himself in growing up as, you know, the 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 child of a black mother and a white father, and so you know this guy was chased in the streets, all of that kind of stuff, and those formative years informed him, you know, he wanted to understand why was that happening? Why was I getting chased by you know racist skinheads in the streets of, I think it was North London, and. Studying African-American history and culture helped him have a deeper understanding. So yeah, it makes sense that, you know, ain't no, no black in the union. Jack, well uh, would be, would be, would be the title of his first book. It could also be you just I mean? politics
1: of, uh, you know, like how you, how you should title your book so that it sells better in a particular, uh, market. Um, could, could be that because, because he has a book. What is it called? And I always confuse it. I think it's called against empire. uh, mm-hmm in america but it has a different title here i forget i forget what the, the title was um so yeah there's this um there could be publishers uh, politics as well who knows
0: oh for sure for sure for sure oh so i was looking at the wrong article the article is actually understanding michael jackson so i, I was saying he made me understand michael jackson greater and that's actually the I name think there's of two the article. versions of
1: that article if i'm not Mistake, and it's been a long time. But there's a longer version, and then there's the one that's in the book. Um, mm. And then he, and then he, I think, released a book of his own, like um, like a, a small book that he sells um, independently on Michael. Yeah. And uh, I have to say, like out of all the pl- out of all the things that I recommend people to read from Arm and White, that's the one that people come back to me and say, "Wow." Like, that's, uh, like, I didn't, like, you know, they, you know, that's the one where people think, I didn't know that you could do that. You know, like, it, it it's what cracks you out of your consumer identity that you construct for yourself and you trapped in trapped in yourself.
0: That's what both of these guys are doing. They're wrestling the uh, music culture from its commodified form and drawing meaning from it and giving meaning to it, creating new stories so that people can live lives that have much more depth and much more collegiality with others that, that that's what that work does it just it, it breaks open all right so this is the quote that made me understand in a way that i didn't understand before <laughs> okay so this is page 74 in the resistance uh from the article understanding michael jackson from the year i believe 1987 so this is for the bad album yeah that bad album so this is when mike first when we first seen that bad video yeah. and we were like oh yeah, what he a little, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah all right so almost 100 years after minstrel shows jackson has engineered the ultimate critique reversal of the blackface tradition his plastic surgery answers the exploitation and, humuli- and humiliation that have always loomed ambiguously before black performers performers who are ready to give that marketplace the face or hairstyle it demanded. Jackson had speculated on the possibility of becoming the perfect model entertainer. He has cribbed notions of showbiz decorum from that most desperate integrationist, Diana Ross, specifically in terms of music and vocal nuance. But another important touchstone has been the pencil-thin, art deco stylization of Fred Astaire in movement and dance as a recombinant Showbiz entity Michael Jackson has surpassed both of them. He's the assimilation ideal made flesh. Showbiz excellence evolved into lightning quick speed and efficiency. Like, damn, like I understood now, you know, what <laughs> it's essentially taking the doo like what the doo singers were doing with the conk in the hair, straightening it, and doing it to the actual epidermal surface, your actual skin. Right, so it it just it just it takes it up a notch, with the hair relaxing and everything like that, right? What he did with the the skin bleaching, or the changing of the skin. Yeah, color. he
1: incorporated it. He reversed it. He he basically held the mirror back up, uh, used up his own body as uh, for the minstrel show. As yeah, as a mirror to what you, the kind of version of uh, are you entertained? Are you entertained? Because
0: he's like, I did this for you. <laughs> I did this for. I media.
1: mean, I I'm, I always go back to this odd thing because that's basically what it is right michael is whatever uh you want him to be just for you just for you like yeah. whatever individual it is and and it was global like i remember yeah. when i was in my 20s i came across like a teenager who was a huge michael fan and i was like well, aren't you a little too young and you know and uh and um she was indian and <laughs> so this is good and bad at the same time because for her the fact that Michael might be black and that, that, that what we're me and you are talking about never came came across to her. To her, he was he was just as inter- interchangeable as uh, any of the Indian celebrities or people she saw on Indian television and in the public sphere. Um, hmm. You know that was that's, that was her. Uh, that was that was him. And and funnily enough, she also mentioned that Beyonce kind of fits into that too, except maybe a I'll a little bit more. Uh, she, the way she put it in her language, she seems more Egyptian than African. <laughs> oh,
0: wow! So th- there's, right. uh, there's that, yeah. I mean, right. and and didn't Armin talk about this with Vin Diesel?
1: As, uh,
0: yeah, that was in a that was in a different context. And, and right? Daniel McNeil yeah. did too. Yeah, Vin Diesel and Professor Daniel McNeil did the same thing Iraq, with his articles, right? Yeah. About um, mm-hmm. yeah, the,
1: yeah, that's that's a whole another deep dive there.
0: We'll get into that another day. Daniel has a thing Um,
1: about metaphors, racial metaphors that are used, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that that are borrowed from colonial eras, from colonial times um, to describe uh, things today. Sometimes they're apt and sometimes they they lack.
0: (laughs) Right, 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 right. I think that that's why academics like Paul Gilroy latch on to words like hybridity or hybrid. As a way to kind of like stay away from words like or terms like mixed race or obviously, you know, the old racial scientific terms and words like mulatto. Um, it's, I think I think hybridity gets to it. Like when he's talking about Bob Marley, he's he's using that language um, and he sees it as a whereas black nationalist sentiment would see hybridity. Or racial intermixture as a weakening, uh, a weakening of the race. Uh, Paul Gilroy sees it as something that can stimulate newness, something that can stimulate um, other types of ways of being in the world and kind of blowing through those dichotomies, that binary of black and white. Right? I think he 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 notices that in I mean, that's why you know his, he had a book against race. His whole thing is we got to abolish race.
1: Well, I think that's what. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, the, even this book, uh, Thinking My Black, is I think lodged into that uh, idea of breaking up binaries and opening up the the field. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, theoretically, I, I, I just think that that's uh, that's there, there's alternatives to that. I think that's also in, I mean, he he quotes him and his book, Jared Sexton, actually. Has a very good uh, yeah
0: amalgamation scheme, right?
1: <clears throat> yeah, it's a very good response to that. I mean, there's a reason why binaries uh, persist. At least some of them do. Um, and right, maybe right, right. The, uh, the
0: and it's the people outside of the binary that make it make those binaries even stronger, which is funny, yeah, and, and strange like and ironic the, every, and cruel.
1: <laughs> everything that happens in all over Earth uh, makes the South and the North Pole that much more stark and. and uh, you know, um, noticeable as what they are. It's, it's, yeah, it's kind of yeah. like a, it's, it's not that they hold you together. It's kind of what the inside holds the outside. Uh, holds holds mm. the outside um, at at will, at, at at a distance. It's kind of like the uh, the. Um, I forget his name now. It's been a while. Uh, you know, the, this theory about how the concentration camp. Uh, says it tells us more about what's outside of it rather
0: than. Mm. Is it the bear life? Yeah, That's, there you go. Bear life. What's his name? Yeah. Uh, Italian dude. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely out of. Uh, I
1: haven't read that corner of, that. of theory yeah. in a long time, but it, it's the inverse of that. Yeah, and also just how right. how the binary keeps persisting, even in this uh, moment, we're now like speaking in terms of spectrums and stuff like that. There seems to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I saw. The, what did I see the other day that someone said? purple and green are opposite sides of the color spectrum or something like that. I don't understand color science, but even the fact that there are the, the, the opposites exist. I know we get into yeah. the theory part of it, but, but, but basically my point of uh, going to Jared Sexton is he offers a different subjectivity model to, uh, to explain right. why the binary persists as opposed to uh, what she, what he explains in his book. You know, a lot of conservative multiracial folks who try to uh, play the fact that they have, you know, um, gone through this uh, new front- frontier of race talk, basically. You know, we are, we, have, we are here now. Black and white has disappeared. We're advanced, yeah. yeah. So it's over
0: now. Right, right, right. And I think Gilroy, he talks about that too, right? He says that's, that's, don't go down that road because placing all of your ho- utopian hopes in a mi- mixed race family is, is, a, is a wrong-handed move. Right? It there has to be more substantial or there has to be more substance to that. That's just surface. Do you know what I mean? Um, and and I think sometimes they use those metaphors of multiraciality or of being multiracial as a way to just kind of like bust through the binaries. Um do you know what I mean? An interesting figure that they all talk about, right? Professor Danny McNeil, Professor Paul Gilroy, Armin White, they all talk about Obama. <laughs> Right, you must in
1: our generation. He's we must. He's made he's made many people uh, money by just you know all of a sudden everyone had a reason to write or or make film or pr- produce culture.
0: <laughs> right, right, yeah. When he came on the scene, and I think that with with the figure of Obama, I think we can go many directions. But it's interesting because what we see in the US, and I think these are the things that like Gilroy, where Gilroy is picking up on, and I think in a weird way, Armand might be aligned with is this this sense of um, being entrapped by the nation, by that container, and especially African-Americans, and moving and pushing against the diaspora and kind of closing themselves off. You can think about Like the ADOS movement, right? The African, uh, the American Descendant of Slaves movement uh, started by Yvette Carnell and Antonio Moore, right? That is, that is, we're not part of this diaspora. We don't, we're not, we're not related at all with the Haitian, with the Haitian plight, with the the plight of Ethiopians, with with whoever, right? This is, we're dealing with foundational uh, Black American issues, right? And like that enclosure right to, to 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 cut yourself off from a black diaspora is to lose touch with in a sense yourself
1: i think i think gilroy's work anticipate anticipates a lot of that like the american uh, yeah you know uh, need to either shut you out or if we are going to do a global thing we'll be first we'll be we'll be leading the way
0: yeah right 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 and, and other people are doing a globalization uh Better than Americans. So now the Americans are like, you know, well, well, well it's, it's been a, it's been a thing that thing that's been going on for a very long time to where now even like the Democrats are like anti-globalization. Right. Because it's it's.
1: Oh, really? The Democrats? I, th- I thought they're the new. I mean, they're always the hawks. But now they they, you know, they're just open out with it, you know, about invasion. And,
0: yeah, they understand that there's too much discontent with it. Right. Uh, so if even if they don't believe that, even if they think that globalization has worked for them, they're going to just say what, what they think that their base wants to hear. Right. And they want to uh, appeal to voters that, you know, they could swing. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah And yeah, so,
0: yeah, like that, that that's that's important. That's why I think Gilroy's focus on the water now is so important. Right. That kind of planetary humanism, because the, the water opens you up to an expanse. Right. It's it doesn't it's the law of the sea is not the law of the land. And he's saying we have to be um, compassionate, like the people who do real life saving work in the world's oceans and seas, especially the black Mediterranean. Right. It just it opens you up and you do these things not because you feel like it's going to be reciprocated because but because that's just innately a humanist thing to do. You know yeah, I, I think mean?
1: Daniel gives the two the two examples of the two English activists who died in uh, Israel in the book. I I think yeah, I think he does use them as a, that kind of example as a way for his planetary humanism as, as he sees it. I mean, the other side of that that's where also the criticism is based that it's a lot of empty platitudes and the kind of utopian um, vision in the midst of a you know world in turmoil. So we need more. Um, we need more um, you know hands on deck basically you need, you need to act as opposed to what Gilroy seems to be doing is like that old the source uh, segment ears to the street. And I think Gilroy is a little bit too romantically involved with what's happening on the on the jerk chicken corner, and uh, not enough uh, you know what, you know all the, the the hustle and bustle of that everyday kind of multiculture. And you know, maybe maybe write a little yeah. paragraph about oh, gentrification is uh, killing it, and um, and then move on. It's, it's, it's he's a hard mm. guy to root for, a hard guy to feel for, and his work is, I think, mainly celebrated by uh, academics in and around that this kind of Black Atlantic uh, English-speaking world, the world of universities and uh, university publishing companies and pressers. Yeah, um, but uh, Armand White seems to, and this is what my big <laughs> anticipation was: is how Daniel's gonna handle this last part of uh, Armand White's uh, life. This uh, this turn post Obama seems to have uh, really uh, hurt the man, made him seek even more, um, like maniacally for relevance, and you could you could almost think of him as a reg, uh, as a kind of even if he's not regular on them but a kind of Fox TV talking head and who is uh, also that's the thing that's what hurts as well is that he's got all this experience and all this expertise uh, so certain folks are using him to point back uh, at, the, at the other side of the left that's and um, hurt even more the education system than what it is uh, the incarceration system there criminal justice system everything that's wrong with the world and what they're trying to push through uh, they get to hold him up uh, on a certain front of on on culture. Um, that's mm. uh, that's but but
0: yeah. Um, right, a Jason Whitlock for cultural criticism. <laughs>
1: and Jason Whitlock is just an Armin White for sports talk, I guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Jason ain't even close, man. Armin, Armin, Armin got. Skiers, I mean, it is. So. It is what it is.
1: Yeah. One is talking about sports, so you don't really require them. <laughs> you just talk it.
0: Yeah, that's true. But yeah,
1: it seems like Daniel is still uh, even placing that onto this kind of, uh, you know, the swinging kind of non-binary thing where you can change your mind about older things, about older events. Right. Um, Armin White changes his mind about movies all the time, which is fine. Um, And he's, to my mind, the first person to finally try to categorize Armin White's film criticism. Our cultural criticism kind of uber with the way he um, uh, divided it up into like five parts I think it was I'm trying to see if I can find it
0: um, which which I gotta hand it to Professor Danny McNeil that yeah, is a difficult thing way. to do like it's <laughs> I go through the you know the footnotes and everything like that and I'm like I'm looking for the articles and I'm like well, they're not he, out there he,
1: he found them from I mean it was hard enough I think to find the stuff from his high school and college years and then also the the years after
0: wow. the book, crazy
1: the resistance year, uh, the resistance uh, articles, uh, you know, th- that collection is just from 84 to 94, I think. And he stayed a little bit yeah. longer. The next time I got my hands on something was, was a Tupac book that came out in 97. So there's a gap there. And then there's uh, like 10 years mm. uh, for the New York uh, uh, press, was it? yeah so there's a lot there um but yeah kudos Mm -hmm. and but the categories he he has come up with are serious pop artists sense and sensibility out one shots and newcomers r-e-s-p-e-c-c and let the morning begin um i (laughs) you know mine one right (laughs) mine is much much more simple uh tell me who the president is and i'll tell you what armand white's uh overall (laughs) mood was that's I think that's how I think of it. He wrote in a certain way when Reagan and Bush were in power. <laughs> he wrote a certain way when Clinton was in power. Right. He wrote a certain way when George W. was in power. And then the Obama years as well. So I think the swing is actually... And, and, and that's the thing. It's very American. It's just so very American. And the only time, even in Daniel's book here, right, he seems to even have a, a hint of a desire to put his put his hands on deck <laughs> to put his uh throw his hat into the ring of of the of the global scene is after september 11th
0: yes that's when it changes for armin and he really
1: no i mean no he it makes him more globally conscious at least and he writes he writes articles uh, yeah oh, i mean, it's, really he, daniel mentions it here as well he starts to yeah um, yeah yeah okay um Speak more about French films and uh, third world cinema, Iranian films and things like that. He did it before, but this time a little bit more uh, urgency, I guess to it.
0: Right, right, right. I mean, he's a diehard fan of John Luc Godard, right? So like, it makes sense. So, I mean, I think, I think you're absolutely right to say that you have to read them alongside the shifting, like every four years, the shift or eight years of the shifting of the American, the U.S. presidency. Because, like Daniel says it here in in, page 79 in Thinking While Black, he says, "When, when his, Armand's, arrival at the city sun coincided with Jesse Jackson's 1984 presidential campaign, White also considered it the responsibility of principled critics to uncover the political truths within popular culture. Like that, it just, that right there lets you know everything. Right, like why he swings and shifts that way? Why the the the, uh, the the a change in the presidency, a new regime coming into power would shift him because there's there's mm. new pop culture that's being made to to service you know those power bases. Uh, I mean, that's his contention with Spielberg now, and kind of like he feels like he got co opted by the the liberal left in Hollywood um, because he but he connects that to the Obama phenomena. Right. Like he's, Obama got into power and Spielberg totally changed. And he said, like, this is a change for the worse. And so he's he's reading political truths in pop culture because of that. So it makes sense. That's kind of his hermeneutical practices.
1: It's not even, um, I don't know, I'm not casting expressions or anything like it. It's if he is truly a humanist, which we're all contending he is, that's his barometer. So when new things come onto the scene, new people come on the city, onto the scene and there's a shift in political leadership, leadership culture, he, he looks at it and says, okay, how much have, have things changed? What is now more important to stress than before? And how may I contribute to a readership that, that maybe needs that uh, point of view from, than, than they did from before? So basically, like with the Jesse Jackson thing, that could be what he his thoughts might be. Um, so uh, the idea being now, he thinks in the last 10 years that the entirety of Hollywood has been swallowed up by some kind of uh, cultural Marxist <laughs> um, cabal or whatever, uh, I don't know. Um, he's been always suspicious of academic-based uh, film theory anyways. That's why he always you know, kind of dismissed the psycho babble of it. Early on it was all psychoanalytical right and it's uh, over like the, the early film criticism he ran away from that he kind of saw a more uh, uh, like you know daniel says less uh, serious or strained serious, more able to talk to the everyday man woman who just enjoy a movie on a, on a weekend um, and it, it seems to him maybe that's that, right. that that monster the academic monster has come back with uh, with a vengeance because now all these kids have gone to universities and liberal arts classes mm. and uh apparently you yeah. know it's, it's the boogeyman of cultural marxism they're they're kind of like a it feels good to be minority i guess in that sense to or to make yourself into one um, the the the, the media yeah. is liberal right it's, and liberal to them might as well mean uh stalin <laughs> you know so, so.
0: So that's right, that's right, the weirdness. Right. I mean, that's
1: I, I think that's the, ba- the 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 good thing is that from you and me being outsiders to America, is to to be able to read it from a completely mm-hmm. different vantage point, albeit with uh, shared points of contention like humanism, globalism, immigration, people movement, the, the movement of culture uh, and meaning and language and stuff like that. So we're interested, but we're not wedded to. Yeah. I don't care if America wins in the end. <laughs> as, as as an anti-imperialist, right, I right, right, yeah, I have I have more to to gain for them uh, for, if they lose. But I also understand all the contradictions that make America to begin with, uh, the Yvette Carnells and stuff like that. That's that's um, right. That's a that's a gen- genuine right. um, realization that the world has come up, come up. You know, they're right here now. It's no longer just the korean mm. corner store it's mm. the whole world i i am I'm, I'm seeing everywhere that it's basically complete like the, the the cycle right in terms of commercial commercial pursuit of african right wait 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 for african cultures uh musical cultures we went from hip-hop to dance hall and mm-hmm. or I, at least we went from new york to atlanta mm. in one sense uh, and then it went to to the caribbean and now right. it's african like the entirety of uh, popular dance music, has completely been overrun by mm. African artists, and Africa is is flexing. Yeah, Africa is flexing. I saw the Voices Rising documentary recently, and each country in the in Sub-Saharan Africa, West Africa, is just absolutely flexing right now, and it's been like that for ten years. And I feel, I feel there's an existential crisis
0: there. Hundred percent. Like if you watch Ados. Uh, content on YouTube, right, with, with Yvette Carnell and Antonio Moore. That's one of the main antagonisms. The things that they talk about points of contention is these Africans, these new Africans who are coming to America, and they're usurping all of the gains that we made. They're going in. They're getting. They're getting into colleges and universities through affirmative action. They're they're, Like you go to a a place like L.A., right? And you look at the the statistics as far as the the socioeconomic status of, say, like Nigerians. And you put place that with African-Americans. And there's a great gulf there, right? There is no class uh, sameness there. And that's what people like Antonio Moore and Yvette Carnell are trying to point out. And these people are the issue. You know what else they talk about? They talk about all those doggone English actors like Idris Elba who come to America and take up good African-American jobs, they're resentful about that. They're really resentful about that, right? So the the African-Americans, or just Americans in general, want to access the world market to make as much money as they can, but they can't hand, handle the boomerang of when you put something out, it comes back.
1: The, the way out of it is the, is the nation, is Americanism. It's to own, that's their best bet. It's to um, take over the reins of the, of the imperial
0: ship. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're anti-immigrant. They, they want the wall put up like it's it's they're thinking about their own interests within the national borders. It's it's really a nihilistic and, and fatalistic way to go. The death of Pan-Africanism. Good God.
1: <laughs> it could be also a fatalistic response to the to to to, to what happened to them to the, to the first place, to the first blow, because the African immigrant, I always say colonialism was an education. Slavery was the punishment. Like there's a something, there's a, there's a certain kind of molding that happened in the colony that that produced uh, immigrants, as opposed to the plantation that produced kind of you know this uh, successive generations of um, of a bottom that must that has to bear it all.
0: Right, right. And black immigrants don't understand that, and then they come and they just say, "Well, what's wrong with you? Pick up your pants, bootstrap." Right? They come with all of the jargon and the lingo. They got.
1: <laughs> They got every version of the Bible already <laughs> and, and the, and the Quran I <laughs> And, uh, yeah, there's, there's also the sense that the African American is under siege or the, the, the new world, um, uh, yeah. world African, um, yeah. And all this is, um, flies in the face of, uh, any kind of hope for kind of new black internationalism. And whatever that might mean. I guess for Paul, Paul Gilroy, it would be an international version of political blackness um, for, you know, I don't know. I mean, we. I mean, earlier in the book, earlier in the book, we said how Gilroy is a hypocrite as well, right? Or was crit- criticized as being a hypocrite, where he thinks certain uh, folks uh, like uh, what was the white historian, uh, the Raymond Williams cultural historian who who doesn't oh. talk about uh, empire and colonialism and stuff like that yeah but yeah he himself wants to propose a kind of multicultural multi multi-racial multi-faceted uh, planetary humanism i guess um i don't know how how you're supposed to get a kind of political that's the other thing like people live political lives i think that's what i would say to both of them beyond being humanist people are also political you know it matters to them who, who who they vote for and who they see on TV and things like that. And it's uh, who who they see on TV representing them. Yeah, it's not just cultural or social or uh, these like these these examples that they always pull out from the streets is uh is almost like a writer stuck in his room to, looking at the window type of thing.
0: Right, 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 right. And and the thing is like, if I say somebody like Paul Gilroy, what's fascinating and interesting is is he. He says like his education came from not mainstream theory, like especially growing up, it came from the musicians, the Curtis Mayfields, the Bob Marley's, the Peter Toshes, the 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 you know, the Sly and Robbie, the you know, all of those kinds of cats. And what's interesting about that is those spaces where that kind of education was happening, concert spaces, rape black radio, um parks, parties, those like everything like there's been so much yeah. privatization and deregulation and re-regulation that those spaces where those types of freedoms and democratic sensibilities were enacted and learned, they don't exist. Like like the city the city that they understood and knew, that form, it's not there anymore. That's that social space, that use value, right? Where where things are not commodified that's 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 not what it is it, the, the city is a commodified it's essentially a big box plaza big box office front uh storefront right it's 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 and in, in a sense if it doesn't work towards citizens or yes yeah, citizens needs then can you call it a city
1: it's a cap- I mean the western city is a kind of capitalist maelstrom like all, it, it keeps disappearing into this hole and then the 50 the year old can can't can recognize the same place that he used to have fun in in his 20s, in his teen, teenage years. But you can map that as well onto the Black African versus African-American scenario as well because there's national history, national culture. You, I, there's, there's a way in which in Eritrea you, can't, you don't really worry for that. Public space doesn't disappear, or, or for culture anyways, doesn't disappear because the tradition is national. Or the culture is national. It's, not, it's less commercial yeah. culture. Here, everything is mediated by e-commerce. The arts are mediated by a commerce which means they're dictated by commercial rules and people in suits. So things are more fleeting and they come and go. Um, even when they look like they last, um, because you know, 20 years, 30 years might seem a long time to one person, then all of a sudden, like you say, you will go out one day and that neighborhood doesn't exist anymore. Or that cultural center has been closed, that library has been closed. And- so this 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 um, war on on public space is uh, pretty unique to the West as well, and I think um, I think what Gilroy deep down wants is a a, a kind of concerned economically, financially uh, um, educated anti-capitalist, you know, who who understands it all. But uh,
0: that's where Gilroy goes further, right? Because like Professor Daniel McNeil really makes it clear that like. Armand is somebody who admi- admired soulful artists who clarified the confounding contradictions of capitalism, rather than an advocate for the political or for political transformation that would abolish the contradictions and hierarchies of racial capitalism. Right? That's on page that's on page seventy five. And thinking uh, thinking while black. So Armand will stop short, but he'll give you the best illustration of these confounding contradictions. Um, but that's that's where he stops, right? But he's really good at that. You can use him for that, and then you have to go to cats like Gilroy or whoever to understand not how to make policy, because I think they they think policy is a failure yeah. of politics. You have to 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 think past that and like how do we make a better world? And I think that that's why Gilroy is just his stuff is like really he's 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 cutting edge now, right? Like his work on the Black Mediterranean. Um, well another yeah like it's 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 pushing it's pushing the needle right it's pushing the ball forward and I think that like in in, in articles like the black mediterranean he's he's coming back he he's coming back into his hermeneutical circle right like he in in the book it says that he he became a secularist um or something to that something to that effect uh, he left Christianity in his teen years and he felt like in public space. That's the, the space where you can actually access transcendence. It's not necessarily the church. But when you've been touched by something, it's with you forever. So even if he doesn't claim he's a Christian, he'll still bring up as an example in, a, in the, the Black Mediterranean article, the example in the story of the, the Good Samaritan in the New Testament, in the Bible, right? To show like what, what, what mariner hospitality and humanity is about. Right, he uses that story, um, which I thought I'm like, wow, okay, like you're 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 you back in your own kind of history and isn't that in- why
1: um, the word soul is so um, big uh, throughout the book? It's on the title, it's in the title, and it's uh, throughout. Like, because um, instead of politics, right. it's culture, and instead of uh, um, instead of the political, it's the cultural, and instead of the libidinal, it's the feeling and the, and the soul. And I think for both of these men, they kind of find a, a kind of uh, a zaps religion in, in this kind of human um, interchange of, of art and meaning and stuff like that. So I, how you, how, the, the, the dream has always been to make that work on a political level where everything kind of falls on the same line where everybody agrees to move together. Um, but it's always been a dream that's why I, I like that gap I think that gap is actually helpful for just for yourself because I'm with both of these people I mean when you hear me speak about a film I like or a song I like it, to me that's the, the poetry is the religion that's, uh, it's that's the the most fulfilling fulfilling um, thing and I wish that that could be uh, you know and then people do also use it. For example, for like uh, mental health and uh, helping people up, uh, helping people out, and the collegiality that you mentioned, I think that's kind of like the blood that uh, that mm. should be flowing through um, people, communities, friends, family, whatever at that level. But the one, the moment you cross that gap into the political, things get a little bit um, harder, more difficult. I think so. And the reason people fall back on policy is because. They couldn't, they, they come out the other gap, uh, being co opted by uh, the the men upstairs, and it's, it's just, uh, yeah, it becomes mm. part of the carousel. But I think that's, uh, that's what it is. I think the, there's there's no definition of what soulful means in the book, but I think it's kind of obvious that both these men are soulful men and they look for some kind of inspiration, some. Some kind of inspiration in, in art, in, in, in the people's art, whether it's uh, in, in film, and you know, in the, in the media and kind of popular arts for Arm and White, or whether it's for Gilroy and the, the, the art of, of uh, convivial multicultural. Um, that's I think that's what puts them probably also on the, in the same bed as odd bedfellows. So I, I think yeah, uh, that's uh, I'm with you there definitely do you, do you want to finish up on the uh yeah. i guess Dakota is um i mean we kind of touched on it but uh, it's it's just it's just basically a more specific example like how, their their points of view on the uh steve mcqueen book oh uh, sorry the movie
0: right <laughs> so that point right like so i wanted to clarify the color purple point and to to, to really explain and i think we're going to be able to do that with the 12 years of slave movie um Armin's contention and I'll read I'll read um, I'll read the quote in a second but Armin's contention is like when when you go against the grain and there's no white condescension in the movie or savior in a sense and even like black characters themselves can if dealt with humanistically they don't always have to be the ones to survive at the end or have something uh, have everything go good for them, right? He wants he wants a, an honest portrayal. Um, so for Armin, the, this this is the big contention of why why he hates the movies like like Twelve Years a Slave. So he says uh, this this is uh, Daniel McNeil writes this, this is his cultural criticism repeatedly used Spielberg's example to shame other minority filmmakers who sacrifice the meaning of their lives the ingenuity of their talent before the ideal of our country's dominant ideology, the heterosexual white boy. That's on page 84. That's it right there. Uh,
1: I, uh, sorry, I, I, it's a good thing you reminded me because uh, apologies to anyone listening. I, I did not take, uh, I, was, I, I was lazy in taking notes, <laughs> but that was one of the moments why I thought, <laughs> but, uh, but Armand, you love Paul Walker. <laughs> i don't know if you know who paul walker is <laughs> off the top of your head but the, yeah. the the way he writes about white white men sometimes in certain movies that he likes
0: yeah
1: the, the uh the film criticism that's uh steeped in psychoanalysis would have helped you out there because we can't just put out put down our voyeuristic hats like our desire no doubt just, just mute our desire and then uh then watch something and, and i think uh the heterosexual white boy at the center of it, of it all is also having an effect on him
0: 100 percent I mean this is the thing though mess. you notice know in a more political context of how how this saying from our country, our <laughs> beloved Arecia. um so this saying is a popular saying it it goes. And you can give the political um, reinterpretation of it after I I say mine. Because I remember telling you this before and you're like, yo, I know that. But from a political context and or when it was reinterpreted politically, um, they say. Do as the priest says, not as the priest does.
1: Okay.
0: right. So Armin had it right, but it doesn't mean that just because he he wrote it down and clarified it for us that he's a practitioner of that idea 100 percent of the time. It's an ideal. You're not going to always live up to it.
1: Um, it's, it's just there's, there's, there's stuff that's left outside, maybe even outside of this book at all, uh, that goes into interpretation, inter- interpreting film period, that has been deemed uh, either too complex. Again, like, you know, the same thing said about Paul Giroir, like uh, intentionally uh, abstract and abstruse. Um, but it, it might be helpful um to to round out the conversation i'll just leave it at that you know some say structure feeling others say a little bit in all economy and they're kind of i think i think that yeah i think they're kind of on the same they're sitting on the same table they just they lead to different <laughs> parts on the on the floor um yeah
0: so yeah
1: there you go i mean yeah. yeah go ahead go ahead
0: sorry no no i'm just saying we're like yeah with quota with quota um. yeah just getting into he comes he, he talks about uh, guess who's coming to dinner
1: yes yeah, obama ties it all together right?
0: <laughs> crazy i mean this was so this was so well written as far as
1: oh, yeah that was the best written part yeah of the book
0: he connects obama to to um it might be obvious to some but the way that he spins it the way that he he presents it sorry it's just so illuminating, right? Like, like it's just poetic. Like, Obama as the Sidney Poitier character, right? Or one of his children, his future children that him and um, Mr. Drayton in the, in, in the movie, um, who's going to be his father-in-law, uh, discuss about, right? And they get to the Du Boisian point of, you know, your children are going to be treated as problems, uh, not as people with problems, and, you know, they go further in that, and, you know, and Sidney Portier's character, Dr. Prentice, he says they could be anything. It could be the president of the United States, according to his soon to be wife. Um, but he's like, well, secretary of state or something like that would be just fine. Right. So he's already putting it out there. And where where is the trip word in the movie at the beginning? They're coming from somewhere. <laughs> they're coming from somewhere in the United States.
1: Oh, They're yeah, coming yeah, from yeah. Hawaii,
0: the birthplace of a one Barack Obama, and I was like, "Damn, that's so poetic!" Like,
1: <laughs> but I just meant, I just meant there's a certain. Uh, that's what I mean by the, the the colonized, educated, subject of Africa, like the African diplomat, you know, the Nigerian, whoever it might be, right. who kind of, uh, pierces through that, and 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 becomes and and gets into these kinds of um, these rooms, right. And I know it happened in America too, but I feel this race towards entering that class of official, um, you know, American leadership is, uh, is, it just goes back to what we were talking about today now, um, earlier about how the African middle class is kind of keeping up uh, or catching up and and passing them in that sense. And Obama is, has a Kenyan father. So that, that kind of interracial relationship giving birth to maybe a future imperialist <laughs> um kind of happened in uh i know via hawaii i guess from africa but on the seat of the white house so there's there's your globalism there i guess
0: yeah that's globalization if I if there was ever a a metaphor for it <laughs>
1: yeah but yeah, but that was that was my favorite part of the the book as well it's just very well read and very tightly uh put
0: uh, put together and uh we'll get to Kanye West um Ooh, yeah yeah but I gotta say yeah Daniel McNeil yeah <laughs> this this is a magnificent book I, I have been recommending it to everybody that I could come across and it's just a fantastic book that I think that will be read for years like I told you I seen it in a high school that I I, I was doing some some work in and I was like yeah this is a book you should be reading and there was actually teachers there who were reading the book. So it's getting around. It's, it's, it's excellent. There's going to be a book that high school students, university students, anybody who's interested in black diasporic politics and culture. This is a must have, man. It's a must have. Yeah. It's a must read. That's dope. But yes.
1: No, I mean, um, that's what I said earlier. I think Daniel folded that latter part of white's, uh, Paranoid era into this kind of um, more murky, more less neat uh, middle that that that's hard to put a liberal or conservative uh, label
0: on. It's difficult sometimes. Like, what's interesting is I think in 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 Armin White's two thousand and twenty one article on I think it was what movie did Spike Lee come out when? with that year. I think it was 2021. Oh, anyways, I, I don't think it was. I don't think it was the Black Klansman one. Oh, I okay. think it was Black Klansman. Klansman. It might have been one of those. But he actually in that in that article, he quotes Frank Wilderson. <laughs> Where in the book? He, it, it, no, in one of his articles on the National Review, Armin White. He quotes Frank Wilderson. His book Afro pessimism, right? Um, he's eclectic. You're not gonna be able to pigeonhole him.
1: What, what does he say, though? I mean, quoting him is, quoting him is one
0: thing, but what does he say? Is... <laughs> he quoted him in a positive. From what I can remember, he p- quoted him in a positive to explain like, Spike Lee's semiotics of death, as he says, right? Um, he, he essentially calls, you know... What, did he like the film? Uh, no, he did not. I don't know. I don't think he likes anything that my man uh, Spike Lee does. <laughs> I, don't th- I think that's uh, Brooklyn uh, fellows who do not like each other. By way of Detroit City for, for Armin White. And Armin White d- d- definitely is a bad boy piston. There ain't no, ain't, There's no half-stepping about that.
1: <laughs> well, th- that was another thing you reminded me. Uh, Paul Walker was one I thing. could read
0: it for you. I, ha- I have the quote, but I'll let you tell me what you need to tell me.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. just let me say this cause before I yeah. forget. There is no mention of Detroit hip-hop Oh, in Armin White's life. I wife. think
0: he would love Dilla, especially this new book that came out, like, no, what's up with but, that? But
1: that's what I'm saying. He doesn't. That's why he nev- never, never cared. He never cared to look. So, th- so, all the, for all this talk on Motown and uh, the the haste to show people that Detroit techno was a thing, so as to disabuse people of the belief that techno is not black.
0: He missed the entire vote uh, Like, why is that? Why do you, Why do you think? Like, because he's he was on the he was on the Della Soul thing public enemy thing
1: no uh, why is it it's because he doesn't he doesn't i mean this is a criticism aaron <laughs> Aaron uh, armin white is not uh his inconsistencies are not, not a uh not a feature i mean they're they're the bug
0: ah gotcha gotcha that's what i'm saying gotcha gotcha, gotcha. And i
1: think in daniel's point of view it's more or less uh um you know part of a man who refuses to be labeled and i think it's uh there's uh there's a lot that he's missing out on even though he should be um you know finding finding a lots of uh lots of pleasure actually deep diving into detroit hip-hop for the last uh, 30 years the only person he did talk about extensively maybe even is Eminem.
0: Mm.
1: and what is mm mm-hmm.
0: Right, right. (laughs) And Jay Dilla was really black. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right. But but that's the thing. The only only thing to look to Detroit for rap-wise, hip-hop-wise at that point for him was Eminem. Because think about it. Dela Soul, Public Enemy. Where do those groups come from? Long Island? Coming from black Uh, middle-class families. Long Island, yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah, not from 8 Mile. Right, right. (laughs) But no, that's the thing. Who who knows? I mean, who knows? Maybe there is a diversity to Detroit rappers as well in, in terms of where they come from. But what I'm saying is it's 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 again this thing where something is shifting in the in the wider culture therefore I must now change my uh, my tunes in order to or my change my gears in order to uh, to address something that's that's now all of a sudden become more important than before this I think this is part of it mm. Detroit isn't important to talk about because people uh, overlook it for its contributions to, to techno or to uh, chicago to you know akin to chicago and house there's this kind of obsession right no it is actually also black and i feel i feel that that's a neurotic middle class kind of thing to do to want to do it's like the eclecticism of the of the 90s or the uh, generation x um of of wanting to to be able to to uh spread your wings and do whatever you you feel like uh but then also having a, a but that also having this kind of real racial r- racial politics reason to ground it in truth and history and uh, meanwhile Detroit is still trucking right and the only reason he goes back is to to uh, join the frenzy the media frenzy at the time over Marshall Mathers that was the other thing I kind of never thought about I, I thought about I guess I've thought about oh, it before I mean it's been 14 years of reading him but I never thought about it till now maybe he did write about it I don't know, maybe he wrote about the far side at the, in, in the mid-90s, who knows, maybe. But, but they're not Detroit, but you get what I mean they're, they're, they're adjacent to that type of music at the time yeah he, he wrote about Ar- Arrested Development that's the closest he got as far as I know
0: <laughs> <laughs> so he, uh, there was a critic who said something about Armin to say he's, he's, he's less of a film critic and more of a performance artist,
1: is that the Australian guy, I think towards the end, yeah,
0: yeah, I believe so I believe so. So that, that kind of speaks to the point that you just made, right? That's that's, that's interesting. And it, it's just complicated. So so get this, all right? <laughs> I, all right. So I'm going to say this quote. The, the one where he talks about Frank Wilderson's theory uh, from his book Afro-Pessimism. Um, so he says white exploitation movies, right? The, the ones that Spike Lee does to him. Uh, White exploitation movies aim at a specific audience. Trauma porn targets us all to force a social reckoning. Trauma porn benefits white and black politicians seeking easy popularity, just just as it is the currency of social justice, media, and the Marxist odiousness taught in academia. University of California Irvine professor Frank B. Wilderson's Afro-pessimism theory calls trauma porn by a more sophisticated label the semiotics of death. Wilderson's theory helps us connect the image of George Floyd's dying, dying to other signs of deliberate finality from lynching to police killings that the media used to certify Western culture's abuse of the black body in the black body in quotes.
1: Yeah, I, I think I did read this before. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is, this is what Wilderson gets from Hartman in terms of the, uh, um, Uh, replication and distribution of the the images from lynching to now and how that's proliferated now in this kind of you know everybody has a camera cops have have body cams and whatnot and how people have mistaken the uh ubiquity of of the event with uh or for some kind of um you know, like a rallying cry, like this kind of uh, for for people who up until that point had absolutely no no care in the world about this. So it, uh, it creates kind of fake outrage in the mind of the reader or the the individual watcher or spectator, as the Hartman would say, in the moment. And there you go, there it, it, you derive a kind of pleasure from that, even from that shock horror, because that that's what the porn comes um, the part comes in, right? You see, you see it and. And, and you kind of subconsciously find yourself enjoying the, oh my God moment, you know? And I think that, I think that's what, I think that's what white is pulling from that. And um, that makes sense. <laughs> A third odd odd bedfellow.
0: That's the reason, because it draws guilt and shame out of people that that's the reason why um, people move towards, getting rights to minorities, right? He's like, that That shouldn't be the reason. And and Gilroy's the same way, right? He didn't, he didn't watch the George Floyd uh, killings that were passed around on social media in 2020 for that reason, right? It's trauma porn. And people are getting caught up in it. Yeah. And yeah, everything you dropped right there is absolute science. Mm-hmm.
1: What do you think? You just remind me of something else <laughs> again. <laughs> uh, I remember reading this back then and not thinking much of it. And I think he, I'm not mistaken. It's from postcolonial melancholia where he says this. He he quotes some psychoanalysts, I think, people from within psychoanal- psychoanalysis uh, on the topic of shame. And in the book here, uh, Daniel repeats it that Gilroy is much more in pursuit of uh, what you know shame, like what the things you can get done through shame rather than guilt. Mm. What, what do you think of that what do you think of guilt and shame like what's, what's the difference people say white guilt and then uh, and then there's shame shame to me seems seems to be um i mean the only difference i can glean from it is that it's a little bit more libidinal um uh, but it's also st- dangerously libidinal shame could also be you could drive pleasure from that from from a kind of
0: yeah it, it moves you towards lethar- lethargy being lethargic um, contemplative, right? That the that shame induces those kinds of feelings where you are not actional, and guilt that that might be a more of an actional thing. Right. But like watching movies over and over that expose you to the you know the, the plight of others and it makes you feel guilty. It also, is not productive, right? And and those are the kinds of movies that Armin absolutely detests, right? He's, he's calling it white exploitation movies, right? Because it's drawing on that white heterosexual boy right it needs that affirmation and he's like no you don't need it you don't need it stand on your own right in a libertarian in a libertarian sense in a a punk do it yourself type of sense right like nah like i don't i don't need a handout
1: (laughs) so right and so in a sense they're kind of the the same thing i just find it difficult uh, to to separate those two i mean i get white guilt is or liberal guilt is the so it's a common refrain we hear that there's a certain uh, sliminess of you know that comes with the 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 uh, outstretched helping hand coming from the, the white liberal, or Malcolm X called him the fox um, with you know the grinning the grinning fox. Um, uh, Donald Glover made a whole horror episode out of out of that concept in the third season of Atlanta of his show. Um, and get out obviously did the same thing but um okay if that's guilt then what is shame and how is it different and what does it do is there there an inwardness that's involved because you know does shame get uh, get the white person to do something that's more uh, you know like Lewis Gordon says this about Fanon how Fanon would know if he can work with a white person as if that white person was uh, still white (laughs) you
0: know (laughs) you know (laughs) like don't
1: don't change because I'm in the room now. Don't get all slimy.
0: Is it that famous example of um, the, the, yeah, publisher the publisher who um, published the uh, Black Skin, White Masks? So
1: I think Fanon told, um, provoked him and he said, Get the hell out of my office or something. And then Fanon said, Yeah, I, could, I can, like, I can, can work, work with this guy. guy. <laughs> <laughs> so it becomes like a, there's mm-hmm. a dialectical kind of, there's a, a locking of horns and then, okay, now we can work together. As opposed to this kind of, mm. I don't know why I'm standing at each point of our relationship. Every time it's like, oh, you do this. No, you do that. I Let me do this for you. Let me. And you can't. And, and that's the thing that black conservatives have always, and, and white conservatives for that matter, have always uh, identified in the relationship between the Democrats, the 20th century and onwards, and the black community.
0: Mm.
1: It's the handout that keeps you there. Um, right so so that's what they've been exploiting just like they've been exploiting a lot of other things i think they're a little bit more maybe because they're better situated economically they can see these things um they, they don't they'll call out virtue signaling you know they'll, and now they're using social media just like everyone else is, just like the left or the liberals are and those words are catching catching on and it's uh,
0: they're using the tools that the left created yeah. Them. So, so yeah.
1: but yeah, that, that's just another. I might have to go back to post-colonial and uh, see what, who the, who the original psychoanalysts were, came up with shame and how they differentiated that from guilt. That's just interesting.
0: Yeah, that's probably like clinical. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, if if you're operating off of guilt, the the thing is you're gonna keep forgetting. It's not principled. It's not an ideal, right? it's 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 i gotta keep remind i gotta have to keep getting reminded through movies music and all of that good stuff why i need to help out others <laughs> it's ridiculous yeah and it's it's a sick it's it's sick
1: i mean i that's the representation thing yeah i mean we could talk the thing is about arm white is you could have like 12 different episodes about you could have a a 10 chapter podcast series for each one mm-hmm. of the Five categories that Daniel came up with um, and he would yeah, come brilliant, all of
0: them brilliant the way he put it down like he 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 took what Andrew Sarris used to do in his books and then applied that I thought that was pretty genius of Daniel to do man um, that was real genius yeah so Mez is there any other outstanding things you want to bring up we're at the almost the hour and a half mark
1: I don't think so other than it has been an awesome 14 years or so, uh, from the time someone convinced me to put the, put, uh, shut my laptop, which I was doing research on which university to join uh, on in 09, when I first got my papers here. Yeah. Sitting in uh, Newland Avenue in a small Yorkshire city in, in Hull. And, and he told me, um, ah, why, are you going, why do you want to go to London? Because I was just researching London universities check out Hull University, it's a real campus, it's a real good university, uh, and, it's, and and you get to stay here where it's a lot more, it's uh, cheaper to live. And I said, okay, open my laptop again, open it up, check the media cultural studies uh, department I saw. Matthew Pateman, okay, he seems interesting. Athena Karasajani, who is, uh, I think he was to like uh, kind of more sociological uh, politics and media th- stuff interesting and then i saw daniel mcneil who was doing a lot of uh black power stuff I was like wait let me walk in here wow. so anyway since then finding out about armin white me and you reconnecting again over online um i think you were going to university at the time studying and um yeah reading gilroy at the time reading armin white at the time um meeting up with daniel here and there and then uh daniel's links to canada <laughs> um so you starting to you starting to read armand white books anyways long story short we get here where these two Eritreans, trans members of the yeah. diaspora are sucked into the vortex of the black atlantic but bring our own uh, <laughs> you know horn of africa black mediterranean kind of perspective on yeah. it, and and our own cosmop- our own versions of cosmopolitanism onto onto, bo- onto a book that was i think many years in the making Maybe we'll talk to Daniel one day about it.
0: Those first conversations back when we reconnected on the Internet um, through Messenger, uh, Facebook, all of that, the Skype, the Skype conversations, all of that built and and, and came towards this moment. So from Daniel to you to me, I'm very, 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 very thankful to both of you guys for sharing all of these these great thinkers with me who have changed me and left an indelible mark on me uh, for the good. Uh, just yeah it's been 14 years of amazingness and and, you know we first met in the city of (laughs) Asmara.
1: you get you're getting soulful now
0: (laughs) yeah 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 i'm getting sentimental i'm getting nostalgic the things that they rail against but you know what i'm a human i'm gonna do it and uh to come to this point yes it's 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 amazing you know 14 years later after you know you go to hall and you're telling me about your professor and i'm like yo what's going on and you're telling me about all these theorists and i'm like whoa like i was studying philosophy um, so I wasn't on the cultural steady side. So you introduced me to all of that, the Stuart Halls, the Raymond Williams, the, all of the stuff they were doing out there in the UK and in the US and in Canadian thinker. So it, it's been a great, great educational process for me, man. Just talking to you, just opened my world up to a lot of good stuff. So big props.
1: Let's, let's do that. No worries, man. Let's do, let's do another book sometime soon.
0: Let's make it happen.
1: It's gotta happen. <laughs> all
0: right, man. <laughs> Yeah, man. So peace. One love, everybody. And thank you for listening. Thank you so much. Uh, We're going to have a lot of great things in store. Uh, Of course, talking about films, movies, shows, just life in general. You never know where we're going to go with it. It's no GPS. Aaron out. Mez out. Peace. Uh, young kids, they thrilling uh, Crane jack the villain uh, Steady watching killings uh, One hand out giving uh, Other hand out stealing. Dollars, dollars Don't it make you holler? Holler Chase by Rockwilers Follow Through the gate with ballers Baller I'm at my job Clean and bean and Lord Tell me the reason Gated community For the overpaid machine Oh my, oh my I shit, I'm taking no oh my, oh my I shit, I'm taking oh no takin oh